Tonight, everybody here is going to take a real good look in the mirror because we're going to talk about something that I think is really important in our society today. You know, our nation today is very much divided, very divided. And to be honest, in my opinion, much of the divide has been caused by politicians and the news media. I'll comment just real quickly as we move forward. Tonight's not talking about the left or the right, about uh, liberals or conservatives. It's not about that. It's not about a political party or this political party or that political movement. It's not what it's about. It's about something a little bit different. But you know, every... Uh, well, let me, let me back up. You know, it seems like the language and the actions of politics today has become extremely hateful. You, you can't hardly have a conversation with people without somebody saying something really nasty and really mean. And, and the worst thing is, if you share your opinion with somebody, if they don't have a comeback to give you, then they'll just call you a name and put a label on you and move on from there. And, you know, that makes it even more difficult to have a conversation. And, you know, every major news media that I know of has become editorials and opinions rather than news reporting. Every one of them. Everybody say, every one of them. I don't care which one you listen to, you're hearing people's opinions all day long, all night long. And, you know, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in all the nastiness and all the hatefulness but we should not see our neighbors as our enemies. Just because they may have different political ideas doesn't mean they're our enemies. And we as Christians have got to find a way to bringing settlement to our society. And as Christian men, I think we should be able to have political opinions that reflect our faith in God while we treat other people with respect who have different ideas. And I'll, I'm just going to, you know, before we kick into this, I'm going to say one more little thing here. You know, I've listened to pastors on TV news shows say strong, hateful, mean things about people in other political parties. And sometimes I scratch my head and I say, wait a minute. I think some of us have missed the big picture that I'm an American citizen, but I'm a citizen of heaven ahead of that. And heaven and earth's going to pass away, but God's word and his kingdom's not going to pass away. And I think we need to have a godly perspective on what's going on in our nation today. So tonight, we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we hadn't planned on Doug sharing two months in a row, but it kind of worked this way because you know he was not feeling well one month, and we kind of pushed him back. But uh, Doug McAllister used to be on city council in Marietta. He was mayor for a while. He was in the political arena. He's got experience there, and he's got a lot of stories to tell. Um, hopefully, if he tells any weird stories tonight, none of your names will be in them, I hope. Uh, but, Doug, if you would, come on out and uh, give Doug a hand as he comes. And Doug's going to share for a little while. Thanks, Gary. I almost feel like my sermon tonight should be what he said, and we're done, and we go home. That's pretty good there. Kind of very much summarize some things up. Let's give a hand to Mike and Danny for their help here. They, they meant it more than they sounded. Don't worry, guys. Oh, my, i got to wake up my computer. There we go. 
Yeah, um, I appreciate you guys all being here tonight. I, it, my name is Doug McAllister. I am one of the volunteers here at the bridge, and um, I do have a bit of a background in the topic we're going to be talking about tonight. Um, I will tell you that um, what we're going to talk about proceeds from me from a profound love for my king um, and my country. Um, you don't get involved in politics if you don't love your country in one way, shape, or form. And um, I will say that this is probably could well be one of the hardest or most complicated messages that I've ever given. I've given hundreds. Um, it's, it's a good one, though. It's going to be good. I really believe so. It's, it's one that, that some of you are going to hate. Um, I, my, my wife was asking me, are you going to talk about such and such? Are you going to talk about such and such? And all these controversial things. And I said, no. And I was in trouble. Because she wanted me to talk about those things. And I said, well, that's not what we're going to do tonight. We're not here to talk about those specific issues. We're talking about, as Gary said, something much, much bigger. So here's my request tonight. Is that you just give me the next few minutes. And it's going to, as you, as you, if you get too stuck on a point, write it down or something. But then keep going with me, if you will. Because if you take this all in, in, in total, it'll make sense. You'll understand why you're here tonight. You understand what makes this tick. I'm not going to ever cover every aspect of the topic of the Christian in society, in politics, and all this kind of stuff. I just want to give you a foundation. Now, this foundation you're going to find out is something that um, is not theory. It's straight from Scripture and straight from experience. I'm going to tell you some stories tonight. The, have, the names have either been changed or left out to protect the guilty. Um, <laughs> Dan knows a few of them. He might pick up who I'm talking about. Dan's been a, he was a great supporter of mine when I, was, when I was elected. And we're going to talk about those things. But what we're going to talk about here is the fact that what I am going to teach you out of Scripture tonight, I applied for 12 years in elected office. And I applied that, and God did some incredible things, which we're going to talk about as we go through tonight. But please understand, this is not Doug's word. We're coming out of the word of God. And the fact that the word of God talks about this means we need, to listen to, we need to listen to it. Let me talk about my experience, kind of set the groundwork here. I moved to this area in 1987. How many here were here before 1987? Okay, some of you were. The rest of you guys came after. We were there. And so you saw all the growth. I was, I was very, very much involved in ministry. Then I had a church in Lake Elsinore, um, and then moved into, into business from there. And that involvement in, the, in business led me to be involved in the community chambers of commerce and all kinds of do-gooder type things out there, which led to politics. I was first elected in 2003 City Council of Murrieta. The reason I ran way back then is because, and I don't, I, it's probably, I'm, I'm sorry this is going to be um, taped, but I have to say it. If I figured out, if, if the city was going to be run by the idiots, I wanted to be one of them. And I was watching what was going up on the dais, and I felt like I can't just sit here and, and, and do nothing. So I ran to do one thing, to take God at his word and to turn the entire city around. And you can imagine what people told me. It can't be done. That's pretty audacious, Doug. Who do you think you are, Doug? It, you can't do any of that. It's a city. You're just elected. You're, you're too big. I heard it all. But I felt convicted by God that I couldn't just sit there and do nothing. And so I put myself out there and ran for office in, in 2003. And lo and behold, thanks to people like Dan and others, I was elected. 
What followed after that was a lot of years that we will never get through all of it. But I was able to work on both the local, the state, and the federal level. Became very familiar with the halls of Congress. Was able to, to affect national change through working with our members of Congress as well as the Senate. And in and, and the process of all of that, I guarantee you, everyone in this room was benefited. And most people have no idea what I did. Because I believed in what Reagan said was, you know, it's amazing what you can get done when you don't care who gets the credit. And we were able to do some extremely important things, both locally and for the state and nationally during that time. I really, I really loved it, I will tell you that much. I retired in 2012, was Mayor Murrieta, because it was my wife's turn. Some of the stories you're going to hear tonight, you'll understand why she was ready for me to be done. But it was, it was time for her. When you live your life on the front page top fold of a newspaper for that much time, and you're watching your spouse go through those kinds of things, you can't do anything about it, it does wear on you. And so it became my wife's turn, and so I, re I retired at that point. But I remain active. Um, because of what we're going to talk about tonight, I was able to gain some respect from those in the elected community on the local, state, and, and federal level. And so I'm, I'm able to still do a lot of things on your behalf, and I enjoy doing that. But I'm going to leave that there. So what we're going to talk about tonight is everything we're going to discuss is from the perspective of God's Word and what I used and what I would encourage you to think about when you're facing the polarization of what's going on in America right now. I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm 61 years old. I know I don't look it. I'm 61 years old, and I have never seen anything like this before as far as the polarization. of I've seen the split. I've read the stories of our country in the early days and Jefferson versus Madison and all those kinds of things going on. I've, I've, I've seen all of that and read all of that. But there's something different, I think, about this version of it. There's just something that's so caustic that, as Gary said, you can't even talk about a difference of opinion. Now, I get it out there. I don't get it in here. I do not understand why it has to be that way in the church. All politics is local. The closer you are to your constituents, the more volatile things get. When you see them in the grocery store and they don't like your vote the night before, I guarantee you it's not always a pretty picture. <laughs> for me as a Christian, it was extremely interesting. It's, there were some things I did not expect to happen for me as a politician. And believe me, I, one thing it's about tonight is the introduction is actually longer than the body because I need to set the stage so you understand where we're coming from. There's this misconception many times about Christians in politics. It's assumed that if you're a politician, now I'm, I, I can see most of your eyes, and so trust me, I watch what you do when I say, about, <laughs> I say this. It is assumed that most Christian politicians, it's assumed they're corrupt because all politicians are corrupt, Right? Don't we hear that? That all politicians, the only way they can be successful is to be corrupt. They've got to cut corners. They've got to compromise. They, that's, and and they've got something going on in the backside. And so that's why the FPPC exists, so that we keep those, those politicians honest. And when they aren't honest, we're going to get them. And this just assumed they're all the same. I, had a, I taught a Bible study. Where's Shannon? Where's Shannon? He's right here. He had me teach a Bible study to one of his men's group there at the, at the um, at, where do you live? Thank you, Canyon Lake. And... Um, and we had, I taught the study, and after the end, we did some question and answer. 
There's a gentleman who, who very sincerely and very kindly, I will say, he asked me this question. It's basically, it came down to, uh, you're a Christian. Didn't you feel guilty being so corrupt? <laughs> you remember that? And I, I, I was taken aback because what it betrayed or portrayed was this innate basic assumption that people have about politicians in general. And so, but bottom line was, some of you laughed, but some of you wonder. Be honest. Some of you still wonder about that. How did Doug do that and not be corrupt? Because all politicians are corrupt. I will tell you, sadly, in many cases, more cases than you can imagine, it's very true. I have never seen anything in my life more dark than politics on any level, local, state, or national. I've never seen anything more dark. But there's hope. The fact is, you can be a Christian and you can be involved in politics at any level you can imagine and not be corrupt. Think about this. The examples of God's people in government leadership were no less than David, no less than Joseph, and the list goes on and on. In fact, 100% of the Bible in some way talks about either being in government and culture or dealing with it. So we're supposed to be engaged in this in some way, shape, or form. The question I had and what I had to learn is, you know, somebody can tell me, where does light shine the brightest? In the darkness. And where does it really shine even brighter is when it's even darker. In the darkest places is where light can shine the, the brightest. And now my experience is, now, Dan will attest to this, not every decision I made was correct. Um, I'd like to think most of them were, but not every Christian, not every, not every decision was. But I will tell you one thing I never had to do. I never had to compromise. The other thing I will tell you, though, is my experience is that as a Christian politician, it was very lonely. It was lonely in church. It was, it was you know, you go to church as a, as a Christian politician to get yell, yelled at at church after the service. They, they would hold you suspect because you're a Christian, but you're a politician. So no matter where you sat in the church, they think you're doing it so you can get attention. And all and on and on it goes. So you always had to be on your guard, which also wore my wife. But what we're going to talk about tonight is... What can we do about that? What can we, or what should we as Christians, as men of God in society, what should we do about that to see to it that the Christians who are out there in the front lines have our support and not our assumed condemnation? We're going to discuss that role of the church and Christians in the political arena. Let me give you a couple of stories that tell you why this is important to me personally. I can tell you a story about a gentleman who used to show up in front of me on a weekly basis in, in, in the in city council meetings. He'd walk to the podium out front for public comment. He'd pull out his huge Bible, slam it on, on the podium, and then begin to lie and accuse and cause problems. He would come every city council meeting for the purpose of getting arrested. All the time throwing his Bible around. He is the only person I as mayor ever had to have the police escort out of city council meeting. Not some weird group out there, not some diabolical group. It was a Christian holding his Bible. 
Then there's those, use, those who will use religion as a ploy. The ones who would one day tell me they were praying for me and the next day accuse me of treason. I've never quite figured that one out. But somehow I had committed, tre- committed treason and would go after me for that. Or then you see the politicians during, during um, the um, election season, you know, which is, we're there now, going around to different churches, hopping around. They, they're not there otherwise, but on election season you'll see them show up. Or you'll find those who are trying to understand that, well, you're a Christian, so I'm going to act like one too. I had one guy who was, who was, <laughs> he was running for office and I try to meet with all the candidates in the region before they run and try to fact, because they're always asking for endorsements of things. So I'll, I'll sit down and have coffee with them. And this one gentleman sat down and literally guys, I sat there for three hours. And I, at the end of that three hours, I had no idea who this guy was, but what he had done was research me. He knew I was a pastor. He knew my background. He knew I'd written a book. And so therefore, he talked about he and Joel Osteen were buddies. I knew he didn't know Joel Osteen. But for some reason, he, that's the name he picked out. I don't know Joel Osteen. I watch him on TV now and then. But he, he decided he was trying to manipulate me using religion. And there's always the self-righteous gut punch. One of the worst nights of my life. Back in 2004, my eldest son was killed in a car accident. It was a horrible situation. It was horrible for me and my family and such. I missed a city council meeting after that, of course, because I just needed to be alone. And then the the first or second city council meeting after I returned, it was a very volatile night. And I had a gentleman who claims to be a believer come to the podium and say to me on the record, you didn't love your son. You're just using this for political gain. That's from somebody who says they believe in Jesus. Folks, it ought not be that way. We as Christians have a responsibility to do something better than act like the world acts in these kinds of situations. You can disagree, but you don't have to be disagreeable. You can disagree, but you don't have to attack. But yet, many times we as Christians, we get caught up in our patriotism, in our way we think things need to be done, and we go after each other. And all I want to accomplish tonight, I'm not concerned about out there right now. I'm really not. What I want to accomplish tonight is see to it that we don't do it here. Not here. We don't want the polarization out there to happen here. We, this needs to be a place where we can understand that we may not agree on everything that's happening out there, but we love each other. And we're going to deal with each other as if men as God. But how does it get like this? And this is where I'm going to answer the question here. How many were here the last time? I, this is three years ago. I talked about pipes. Okay, some of you remember this. Let me go over this briefly uh, and, and kind of this helps set the stage of how we got here. How is it that we can have one person right here who is a really awesome person and one person right here who is an equally awesome person who both claim Jesus? They both are in church. They both may be yet in ministry of some kind in their respective churches. They both are awesome people and yet... They believe the exact opposite things about how things should be done politically. You've got Republican, Democrat, Socialist, Independent, but yet they all believe in Jesus. How does that happen? Here's how. I want you to think about, if you imagine above your head, a bunch of pipes. We've got our culture. We've got media. We've got school. We've got social media. We've got our friends, church, family, politics, and you can throw a hundred more things up there. All of these things, as we have grown older in life, in every one of these instances, these things are things that have influenced our thinking. You with me so far? 
They have influenced our thinking. And what happens is, is they all mishmash, they come together, and then they end up teaching us what to think. So we get some sort of a mixture here of all of this that, that determines how we think about all of that. So far, so good? So what has happened here many times is that what we do, this is like everybody. This is the whole world. But then we Christians, that's us guys, what we do is in our culture, we'll take the Bible right here and put it, and we'll put it on the pipe of culture. And so we'll see the Bible through the lens of culture and it'll all mix up in here. Or maybe we'll do it, we'll put the Bible over here, God's word on the pipe of politics or, or family or church or school, I mean, on any of these things. And so what happens is, is that the Bible, before it, by the time it gets down here, has had to filter through all of this. In a very simplistic way, I've just shown you how you develop your worldview. How you think about things out there. When you look about the issues that you see on the media and what the politicians are fighting about, we have really, really awesome people, I guarantee you, that are in the party that's opposite of you. Who love Jesus, who really want to serve him, but they're getting their worldview this way. And maybe you are too. You have to ask yourself, gentlemen, how are you getting your worldview? Is this how? That all, have you even asked yourself why you believe what you believe about any of these issues, whether it's politics or culture or family? And then what, and, or have you gotten to the point where, well, let's throw the Bible in there. I'm telling you, gentlemen, God talks about this. And he says, don't do this. He says, put the Bible here. God's word is, 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 is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide. It's able to take all of this, and as this filters in, you filter it through the word. You don't filter the word through this. It's the other way around. You filter this through the word, and by that time, what it does, it's a little gimmicky, it makes you happier. What you're able to do at this point is understand what the trash is and what the truth is. And that's how we are able to avoid this disconnect in the church. We don't bring our worldview to bear. We bring the word of God to bear. This has got to be the authority, not this. How we got where we are today is that we, what we have here is a worldview that is not focused on the word. We get the word focused on our worldview. We got to start in the word. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16, there's a story of Solomon. The two women come to him and they... Um, there's, they're, they're both they're prostitutes. They both had babies. But one of the women, they um, rolled over on t- to her baby in the night, and that baby was killed. And so during that night, she realized what she'd done. And so she went and traded babies with the other woman and then said that the live baby was hers. Well, they're fighting about it. And so they come to Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. You know, you know the story. And Solomon basically is trying to figure out whose baby it is. And he says, give me a sword. And he gets a sword. So I'm going to cut this baby in two and you can just have half. Well, the, the mother that was the fraud said, okay, go ahead. But the mother that was who, of the, real, the real mother said, please, no, just give it to her. And that's how Solomon knew which one was the right mother. It's called splitting the baby. I'm going to give you two scenarios. I'm just going to give you the scenario, and then we're going to go into the message tonight. These are issues I had to deal with. 
Very, very common issues. Here's one issue. You're, 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 imagine yourself, you're a city councilman right now. And at the beginning of every city council meeting, there's prayer, right? Well, that's controversial. Now, some people don't like that. And so we came to the, our city council meeting, and they tried to get that to stop. And so I had to, I had to, take a, I had to make a decision. What, what position was I going to take on that? Let's keep that in mind. Second one for tonight. You got a church. It's a great church. But they did a couple things kind of not right. They, uh, they, they decided that they were going to move into a building but never got the, 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 the occupancy permit they needed for, for it to be safe. And then on top of that, they brought in um, a homeless shelter in there, which creates a whole other set of requirements by the federal government and the state government to have to be there. And then, unfortunate for them, the city found out about it, which at that point made the city liable. If anybody was to get hurt or anything in that building, we were now liable. If you were citizens of Burrieta, it could have cost you millions of dollars in, in lawsuits. And so here I am in a situation where I've got a church on the one hand and my fiduciary duty to the city on the other hand. You had to make a decision. In both cases, we had to split the baby. So what we're going to talk about going forward here is the mindset that I had that I want to share with you and encourage you to, 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 to mimic that helped me answer those questions and a thousand more. First thing we have to understand, we are not society's condemners. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the first part of verse 12, for what have I to do with judging those who are outside um, Paul's talking to the Christians there, and he's saying, you know, you, you, need, to, you need to work on each other. But, you know, he didn't say, I didn't tell you to stay away from people who are in the world who are doing these other things. If you did that, you couldn't be in the world. You know, we're not, our job is not to judge those in the world. And that's the first principle, guys, here is it's not church out there. It's just not church out there. What we try to do so many times as, as Christians is we try to impose what God has told us. We try to impose it on them. It's no different in many cases than back then when the Judaizers were trying to tell the Gentiles to get circumcised. Imposing what God had told them on, on others. And so, bottom line, we have to remember, it is not church. And why? Why do they not understand us? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved is the power of God. I simply want to say out of that verse is they don't get it. What we're talking about, the standards that we have, what we find in Scripture, especially when we do it this way, we let this all sift with the Word of God, they don't get it. They don't understand why we stand there. And yet we are trying to force it on them. And sometimes it feels like a modern version of the, of the Crusades. We're trying to beat them into submission. They know what we're against, but not what we're for. We come across as holier than thou or hypocrites, and, and unfortunately, it always seems to come down to our rights. After all, aren't we Americans? Don't we have the right? We're not here to be the condemners. We say, Doug, wait. If we don't call out sin or injustice, how are we supposed to stand against it? You do it by being society's conscience, not the condemner. That's where I get the title. We act for our king while we're in country, for king in country. We are society's conscience. When we act for the king, first of all, we act differently. 
It says in 1 Peter that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. We are to be different. We are different guys by design. We're not like those who don't claim Christ. We don't act like those who don't claim Christ. We act for the king. And he said to you and me, be peculiar, be different. Why? That you can show forth the praises of God. That's why he called us out of that darkness they live in. He calls out of that darkness into his marvelous light. We act according to our citizenship. John 7, verse 13 and 14. I'm coming to you now, but, and Jesus is saying this but to, it's during his prayer to God about us. But I say these things while I'm, in, I'm still in the world, so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. Now here, verse 14. I have given them your word, and what? The world has hated them. Don't be surprised, guys, when we live by this word that sorts the trash from truth that the world hates us. I've given them your words that the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am. Jesus was saying at that point that we are no more a part of this world than he was. Now think about that. He was the Son of God, came down from heaven, he left his throne in heaven, and he came here. He didn't belong here. And just as much as he didn't belong here, we don't, but yet we are still here. We act for the king according to our citizenship, and that means we act better. That's been the whole thrust of our series, guys. The whole thrust of everything we've talked about here is that we are the man in the mirror. When we look in the mirror, who do we see? Do we reflect Jesus or something else? So if we're going to act, we're going to act better. That means a couple of examples of that. We're law-abiding. I have a request. If any of you have any kind of a bumper sticker or a Nick Thus fish or something that indicates that you're a believer and you don't follow the traffic laws, could you please remove them? <laughs> I mean, I'm not telling you not to speed, although, because I can't. I'd be hypocrite <laughs> to do that. But there's a reason I don't have any bumper stickers on my car. It's because as I'm, as I'm passing and doing all that kind of stuff, I don't want them to think about Jesus, okay? I just want to get where I got to go. Um, remove those things. Jesus said, answering them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and, the things that are, uh, and to God the things that are God. And then they marveled at that. What he was saying was, is, follow the rules. Act better than they do. He says, we need to be one. We don't turn on each other politically. He says in um, John 17, again, in, the, in this prayer, I have given them the glory that you gave me, Jesus said about us, that they may be one as we are one. Understand that. He wanted all of us in this world that we're in, as we are living for our king, he wanted us to be just as united as he and God were. And they were one. And there was no separating them. There was nothing that could come between them. That was the most important thing that they held on to. And Jesus said, I want that for them, for us, for you and me. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you've sent me and I've loved them 
even as you've loved me. Here's the test to help you understand if you're doing that or not. Tend to, you tend to be a condemner when you start with the issue. You're watching one of, whatever news story you like to watch on TV, whichever network, doesn't matter, and you get incensed and you start with the issue. And that's from which you proceed up here, your worldview. It, it, it offends your worldview. You tend to be a conscience when you start with the fruit of the Spirit. Gentlemen, if you're saved, if you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you've taken him that way, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And that fruit of the Spirit is already there. You just got to let it out. In Galatians chapter 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you learn that when you're dealing with these issues, when it's the difference and everyone else is polarized, and you understand to address it with love, with joy, with peace, ask yourself, am I responding as a spirit-filled man or not? All I'm saying, guys, is let the spirit do its thing. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. Here's how it works. John 16, 8 talks about it. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will prove the world to the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Two examples. I'm in D.C. years ago. It was a conference. And as the conference was ending, we're getting ready to get on our buses to get back to the, to, the, to the airport. And we're standing out there. As we're leaving, there's a bunch of pastors. And as we're leaving, there was a, a convention coming in. It was, it was, the, it was the gay com- convention. And so here the pastors are leaving, and, and, the, and the gay community was coming in. And we're kind of mixing and talking to, to each other and stuff. And one of the pastors got talking to this one gentleman, this young kid. And they, the, the guy, you know, the, the boy, the, well, the young man said, you know, where are you from? Who are? And the guy said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm from, I forget where, someplace in California. And um, he said, really? He said, I used to go to church. And, and the pastor said, really, what was your favorite Bible story? And he said, well, and he started telling him the story of the prodigal son. That was always my favorite story. I always thought that was, and he stopped. Now, the whole time, this pastor's just loving this kid. He's not condemning him. He's not going after him. He's not going holier than thou and thumping his Bible on him. He's just loving him. And they're having a nice conversation about it. And the kid knew he felt the love. And he just stopped in the middle of his story and said, I don't need to be here. I should not be here. And he went home. Let the Spirit do his thing. And you will change more in this world than you ever could with your wisdom and reason and your political clout. Let the Spirit do his thing. Let me tell you another story. Remember the gentleman I told you about that came up to the podium and, and started talking about my dead son? I let the Spirit do his thing. I didn't come over the dais at him. I knew at that moment I had a decision to make. Was I going to reflect man or was I going to reflect God? And I simply said to him, thank you for your, thank you for your message. Next. A year or two later, he's, he's a friend of mine. I appointed him to the Planning Commission. God turned that relationship around. I let the Spirit do his thing. Because there's a priority for me. And it needs to be the same priority for you and me. 
Paul said, to the weak I become weak, in 1 Corinthians 9, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Our mission, gentlemen, is not to win the next election. Now, believe me, I am political. <laughs> I'm a politician. I am very, very involved in that world. But my priority is to win people to Jesus. So how I conduct myself as a politician is dictated by that priority. My mission is to defeat Satan, not the other party. My mission is to care more about their souls than my rights. My mission is my message, and that is Jesus. Now, I'm not talking theory, gentlemen. I am not talking theory because I did this on, the, on literally the world stage, and it changed an entire city. But before you decide, this is the wimpy way. When you have tried it the world's way and changed an entire city for God, then we can talk about, about being a wimp. But I can guarantee you, gentlemen, that it will take more of a man of God more of a backbone, more a conviction, more of a mission-oriented lifestyle to live for God in politics and in the world out there than it is to compromise and do it their way. Don't fall for that. Be the man that is a gatekeeper that stands in your gate and says, I disagree, but I'm going to do it in love. I disagree, but I'm going to have peace about it. I disagree, and I, but I'm going to love you through all of that. Be that man. And I guarantee you, You'll change the world around you. We are to be their conscience, not their condemners. We are for king, but we engage in country. So please understand, I am about to encourage every one of you to get involved in politics. But as a man of God, I want you to vote. We as Christians have a responsibility to vote, and there's no excuse. If you have to work and travel, then you get your, on, on, the, on your absentee ballot. You can do it that way. But you need to vote. And all I'm asking you to do when you vote is don't vote this way. Vote this way. Don't vote worldview where the Bible is just filtered in through it. Vote God's view where everything else has to get through here and trash and truth get separated. I don't care what your party is. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is that you vote. And you vote in a way that pleases God. Secondly, vote, and I need you to infiltrate. Joseph infiltrated government. Daniel infiltrated government. And they changed entire countries for God. You guys can't just be politicians or voters or bricklayers, or electricians, or pastors, or any of that who happen to be Christians. We need to be Christians who happen to be politicians and voters and such. That needs to be the priority, but we still need to infiltrate in there. And that means influencing them. That means, guys, believe it or not, you can call up your elected representative and say, can we do coffee? Try it. Can I get a meeting? Try it. I guarantee you that you'll eventually sit down in front of them at some point, whether it be at their city hall or in a, in a Starbucks someplace, you will sit down with them at some point and you'll be able to have a one-on-one -on -one with, with your elected representative. Do you even know the names of your city council members? Much less 
I mean, we hear about Congress, we hear about Senate, but then there's our, our representatives in Sacramento. Do we even know their names? We've got to infiltrate. We can't influence them unless we have contact with them. I want some of you to run for office. Now, you've got to be wired weird to do that. But God has called some of you to run for office. He's called you to do that because he wants you to be a Joseph. He wants you to be a Daniel. He wants you to be a David. He wants you to be a Moses. He, he needs us in that role to be able to, on a very hyper level, influence folks for him. And I want you to pray. Pray for those in authority. Pray for those folks who have to make those decisions, even if you don't like them. I, it, it's just, I know, guys, I get it. You know, sometimes it just makes you so mad what they do, right? And the last thing I think about, oh, I better pray for them. I think about a lot of other things before that. Pray for them. We talked a lot here in, 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 this, in this group about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Not even close to being carnal. We've talked a lot about that. Prayer is an act of war. If you want to change them, pray for them. The split the baby game. When it comes to that, we had, when I was put up with the decision about what to do about this whole um, effort to stop prayer at the city council meetings, I basically stated from the dais, do what you want. But as long as I'm there, there's going to be prayer at the dais. And that statement alone swayed the rest of my colleagues, and we kicked that out of there. I just stood for Jesus from where God had me. I said it with love. I made, everybody laughed when I said it. It was, not a contra, it was not an attack, but it made God's point. When it came to the, to the church who had kind of gotten off track there with how to do things, I had to vote to protect the city. I could not, in good conscience, be elected to have a fiduciary duty to put you, if you were Citizen Marietta, at risk for millions of dollars. It's a waste of public money. And so I did. And so we dealt with that. And as soon as that was done, I got off that day, and I went and began to help them find a new place to do, it, to do the homeless shelter better someplace else. And to this day, that still exists. Sometimes you have to split the baby, but you can't do it God's way unless you have handled the pipes in such a way to divide trash from truth. So let's close real quick. What happens when you do politics this way? All I can do is tell you my story. And guys, I, 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 I hesitate to do this because it, it's pretty cool what God did. And I don't want this to be about me. So I just, want to have, I just think what God did was, awful, was pretty awesome. Remember, I, 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 I went into office because I wanted to change the entire city. And those who knew that mocked me. I get on the council, it's the Hatfields and McCoys. Got two, and I got two, and they're both shooting at each other, literally having to stop fist fights in the parking lot, literally having to have the police stand outside the closed session door to stop fist fights in closed session. It was not fun. And it even got worse because I was that fence between the two factions they shot through. And there was, as a result of that, there were all kinds of efforts to take me out, some quite literally. Take me out of office, there were threats. There's Kevlar in the dais of our city council because of threats on my life. But I stood. I stood in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, and on and on. 
there were years of isolation. I would come home, and my wife would be in the fetal position on the couch, all because she just tried to go to the grocery store, and then she got attacked. It was not fun. It was hard, and what made it even harder, why this is so important to me to communicate with you guys in love, is I didn't have you guys. I didn't have the church who understood what I was going through to try to lead for Christ in the public arena. In fact, in many cases, it was the church attacking me. Don't be that. If all you are able to do is to love those folks who are trying to make a difference, you have already changed the world around you. But here's, how, here's what God did. Every one of my enemies, except for maybe one I can think of right now, became my supporters. Virtually every elected or appointed leader in Murrieta and pretty much the region came to some level of a relationship with Jesus Christ. We turned the city around. We did what they said couldn't be done. Not by condemning, just by being a conscience. We, we impact the state and federal policy in your favor. And this guy that no one said that no one, he can't do what he wants to do. He has this, this audacious vision. God took this and went from folks trying to kill me to my last election, I still hold the record for the highest number of votes in the region. And I took every precinct. That was God's favor. And I didn't have to do it as a bully. And I didn't have to be corrupt. God honored my goal to honor him. How did I do that? I live for my king in country. And I'm begging you all. I'm begging you. In this, in this, where we are now with this polarization and it's just off the charts. Don't let it come in here. Don't let it come in here. You can have your opinions. I've got mine. But in here, in the body of Christ, be men of God who take the lead in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, and all the, all the fruit of the Spirit. That's where you want to be the leaders. And I guarantee you, you do it there, you will change the world around you. Gary? Wow, you even had two people stand up for you. That's pretty good. You know what? Doug and I were going to do some uh, Q&A back and forth, but Doug, I've changed my mind. I want to do something a little different. You can go ahead and sit down, okay? Give Doug a hand. Would you do that? Um, we're not going to have table discussion tonight. It's already 8.15, but I, I want to I make just a handful of comments, Okay. This is not a very exciting night because we're all looking at ourselves in the mirror and thinking about how we've handled some things and how we've done some things. Can I, as, as your pastor, and if this is your church home, I am your pastor, I'm honored to be your pastor, uh, can I just share just a handful of just final closing thoughts before we pray tonight? Uh, I think Doug's given everybody seed to really think about. I think this is one of those nights when we need to carry some things home with us and really think about some things that were said. But let me just share some thoughts. 
um, several years ago, our founding pastor, Roger Brewer, made a statement one Sunday morning, and I'd never heard a pastor say it quite this way. He said, quit getting angry at unbelievers around you for the way they act. They're not believers. They're not supposed to act like Christians. He made that story, and I'd never heard anybody say it quite that way, but it stuck with me. And, you know, I think because the foundation of our country is Judeo-Christian morals and beliefs, I think sometimes we expect everybody to just bow down when we say, well, the Bible says, so therefore... How many people do you know that if you start witnessing to them and sharing Jesus, they're going to say, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe there's a God. And yet, sometimes when it comes to political things, man, we pound people over the head with our Bibles. And Doug talked about that a little bit. But I think sometimes we don't even stop to realize we're talking to people who are on a totally different page from us. And all we're doing is creating issues with them. Let let me read a couple of verses of Scripture real fast, okay? And I'm not going to talk long. I've just got a handful of thoughts. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. You're talking to somebody about political stuff. Use a soft answer. It tends to settle. The, it tends to make people stop and think. Another passage of Scripture that I want to read to you. This is good for every Christian man who's proud of what he believes. Jesus said, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Every word I speak, I'm going to give an account for it. How many of you already thought, oh, I wish I hadn't said that today? We give an account for those words. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's what Jesus said. And you know, There's an old saying, and I don't know if you've heard it. I've heard it for a lot of years. You can get into an argument with somebody, and you can win the battle, but you end up losing the war. And sometimes when you're talking politics, you can push somebody away from Jesus, and they'll never want what you've got because of the way you come across. We need to really weigh our words and see the big picture of what we're doing. Uh, you say, well, what do you do with that guy who's so mean and angry? Pray for him. You think you can do more than God's Spirit can do in their hearts? Pray for people. Uh, This one's really sensitive. I do almost no social media. Most pastors do a lot of social media, or a lot of pastors do. I do almost no social media. I'm not on Facebook. If, if you've sent me Facebook requests and I didn't respond, don't get upset. I'm not on there anymore. I got on there years ago. Uh, I had young women in the church, you know, wanting to be friends, and you befriend them, and you look on there, and they're showing you their pictures and their bikinis and stuff. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, people would send me online, and I thought, you know, I don't need this coming across my office desk. So I got away from it. But I, can, I, can I tell you the other reason why I'm not on social media much? Because I've got some family members who are absolute idiots when it comes to politics. And when they don't have to look you in the eye, they can say the meanest, nastiest things. Can I just tell you, when you're online and you say, well, I need to respond to that. They're wrong on this issue. Just be careful what you say. Don't throw fuel on the fire. 
that okay for me to say that? I know it's really quiet in here tonight. I know you're thinking, well, is, is, is Doug a, a Republican or a Democrat? He's probably an independent. It's probably what he is. Um, something else. This is the last thing. I say this every four years, and I'll say it on a Sunday morning this year, just before our national elections. Before any major election, you know, America is now a nation that votes personalities. We like a personality, we don't like them, so we vote according to personalities. What Doug's talked about tonight right here, it's so very important. Don't put the word up there and, and sift it through all this. Sift everything else through the word. But here's what I want to say to you. Before you vote for anybody for a major office, read every political party, at least the major parties, read their political platform. Because you're not voting for a personality. You're voting for that platform. And you need to weigh that through the word of God. That's just common sense. They'll say, well, I'm for this and I'm for that. Let, let me tell you a real quick story, okay? I've got just enough time. Remember, what was it, five years ago when we had the big controversy in Marietta? Doug wasn't in office then. He's already out. When they had the, uh, the illegal immigrants who came across the border and they were being detained here. Remember the news media? All the major news networks were here. There were fights that were breaking out. People got arrested. Do you know that every person who got arrested for their conduct, every one of them from, was from out of town. They were activists who came in to create problems. News media never told you that. What the news media didn't tell you was they had a number of illegal immigrants here who were locked in a little bitty building with one common toilet in the middle. Men, women, boys, and girls using one open-air common to toilet right in the middle of the room. News media didn't talk about any of that. They moved the people to put them in a better position. We never got to the issue. Why? Because everybody jumped in, all the news medias, all the activists, and they tried to make something out of it that didn't even exist. The sad thing is, even churches and pastors butted heads over the issues, and there were some hard feelings that were created along the way. should never have happened because we didn't know the facts. Think for yourself. Who's thinking for you? When it comes to politics, when it's coming to political issues, when it comes time to vote, who thinks for you? Who's thinking for you? Read the platform. Understand what everybody's standing for, what they stand against. Think for yourself. Last thing. Your vote is your prayer. Don't pray for one thing and then vote for somebody who's going to do the opposite. Your prayer means nothing if you vote for something opposite. Your vote is your prayer. The most important thing you can do as a citizen, Doug talked about it, is vote. But know what you're voting for. Not just who you're voting for. Know what you're voting for. Now, I've said enough, and uh, it's 823, so I want to do two things. Number one, I want us to take two minutes. And I just want us to bow our heads, close our eyes, and I just want us to be quiet and just listen to God and see how this fits in our lives. So we're going to take two minutes, and then I'm going to close in prayer, okay?
And Heavenly Father, I ask you tonight to just help me look in the mirror and see who you want me to be and then walk away from this place tonight and be that person. Father, we are not the problem in society. We are the answer to the problem in society. So help us be the answer. Help us to go out into the world and represent you. Help us to stand for your word, stand for what you say. But God, help us to love people. Help us to respect people. Help us to guard our words and weigh our words. Help us not to speak when we're angry. Even when we know we're right, help us to weigh our words. And Jesus said in moments when we're being persecuted and we're under pressure, that the Holy Spirit would put your words in our mouths. So, Father, we trust you. God, I thank you for every man who's here tonight. It's been a quiet, uncomfortable evening for a lot of us, but, God, I know you've caused us to look into the mirror. So let us leave here with your grace tonight. We'll thank you for what you do in our lives, in our community, in our nation, and in our world through us. In Jesus' name, amen.